Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting Scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years' experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. ways we measure the effectiveness of a pastor. Care. When we think about care within a congregation, most of us immediately think of hospital visits, consoling family members after death, or visiting shut-ins. But care is so much more than just that list of admittedly important things in the life of a congregation. And the job is much, much bigger than any pastor can do alone. That concept of care being critical to the vibrancy of a congregation and of laity playing a critical role in care is at the heart of a movement known as the Caring Congregation. It's an organization founded by Reverend Karen Lampe, who retired in 2018 after 15 years as a care pastor at Resurrection, a United Methodist Church based in Leawood, Kansas. For the final 12 years there, she served as executive pastor of congregational care, overseeing a small army of volunteers who helped provide care for the largest congregation in the United Methodist Church. But as you'll hear Karen explain in this episode, It doesn't matter if your congregation is 20,000 people or 20 people. The opportunity to learn about how to care for each other is an essential part of building community. And there's a great opportunity coming up, February 23rd through 24th, as a matter of fact, with an online training from the Caring Congregation. So I arranged to meet with Karen recently in Leawood to talk about the Caring Congregation and how you can learn more about it. Here's my interview with her. I'm joined here by Reverend Karen Lampe. Uh, she is the founder of the Caring Congregation. Uh, we're coming to you in this episode from uh, Resurrection, a United Methodist Church, uh, where Karen, you know pretty well, you spent a lot of time here. I did, Todd. And Todd, thank you so very much for the opportunity to be with you and to chat about what's near and dear to my heart and, and uh, just the whole element of care and what I, how I believe so thoroughly and what it does for our churches um, just building the church and infusing new life into it. So let's start off by giving people a definition. What What is a caring congregation? Yes, a caring congregation for me is one that addresses the needs of the congregation. And what we know right now is that churches everywhere are evolving. Um, there's important things that are really at the top of the list. There's always those important regular items of care that visitation and sitting one-on-one with someone, spiritual direction. Um, But there's also um, those important elements that we are hearing more about, which is what would 
recovery ministry look like in a rural area? How could you partner with the local AA, for instance? What would it mean for um, the local church to think about working with teens and the mental health that's going on in a community? Uh, Say if there were something that was really a tragedy or if things had uh, gone awry in a system, um, in the high school system, We want to be able as a church to address those kinds of things and to be present. And so for me, care is taking care of those immediate things that are always there, those times when we're sick or ill or needing just one-on-one support, but it's also addressing the needs of what's going on in a community. Um, And and so, for instance, in Nebraska, when they had the um, big flood a couple of years ago, the CCMs that were up there, they were frontline folks getting bottled water out and making sure. CCMs would be caring congregation members. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Those Those are the laity that are trained to do the work of care out of our system um, called the caring congregation. And so you bring up an interesting point there that I think I want to make sure people understand. When most people in the life of the church mm-hmm. think caring, yes, they think, oh, going to visit somebody in the hospital. Right. Well, that's one. Right. <laughs> but that's not the only piece of, of, of caring. Uh, you gave some examples there of outreach through like uh, AA and some other things, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Uh, caring for people right. uh, in just a number of different ways. Um, as you've launched this effort... Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to get into your background in just a moment. So this really isn't a launch. This is like a continuation of something. Um, but for the purposes of this, the launch of this, have you had to help people understand to get beyond that stereotypical definition of care? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we want churches everywhere to evaluate what does their community need. And that's one of the three basic things that we we say evaluate 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 so we help churches just think through what does their community need what does their church need to do in in a more organized fashion so um yeah that that is first and foremost um how can we as an organization help the local church just look at what they've got going and then decide whether or not is that what they want to do? Do things need to be pruned that they've been doing? Um, do they need to have training and boundaries? What, what are the needs of the church? And so that's, that's basic to our training is helping the church evaluate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to make sure all the listeners understand Karen knows what she's talking about here. Um, you may not remember this, but in 2016, I brought a colleague here from United Methodist Communications at the time uh, because she had never seen Resurrection and wanted to see what it was. And you were nice enough to spend a couple of hours with us explaining how the caring component of Resurrection worked so that the denominations, communications people would understand better how this functions. I can tell by your face you don't remember that, but I do. I do not. I, I do, yeah. Um, so... Um, Let's get into your background a little bit. Let mm-hmm. folks know what did you, 
What did you do uh, here at Resurrection? You're, she's retired now. Uh, not for very long, though. No. Um, redirected is the word. There you go. I like that <laughs> a lot. Uh, I've often said that United Methodist pastors are absolutely the worst at actually retiring. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, which means it's really a calling. Tell everybody, though, what you used to do here mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. that fueled your passion for what you're doing now. Okay. Well, um, previous to Resurrection, I was a physical therapist, and so... Coming out of seminary um, and being appointed here at Resurrection was like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, but what was needed was really getting the care ministries organized. And I had come mainly taught out of small, medium sized churches. And that is, um, you know, no matter what size the church, you need to have some basic organization around care ministries. And so Adam said, you know, <laughs> get us organized. And we, um, we had Stephen ministers at the time, uh, a large group of them, and they were doing the work of Stephen ministry, which is that one-on-one um, work. And we wanted to put them on steroids. And that's what we told them. We said, we want you to be able to do so much more than that one-on-one that you're doing now. And so we created a training so that they could have an understanding of how to do visitation, how to walk with people in the valleys, how some of them had specific um, ways that they could help the care ministry in that some of them... um, were very clear with us that they had a gift for recovery ministry because that was their story. And they wanted to be able to help us create recovery ministry. And so for each of those unique individuals, we said, let's run with it. And that's what we try to do with churches of all sizes, is we try to look at who those great champions are in the, in the individual churches, and then we put them on steroids. And it's laity really teaming up with pastors. This program will not work without laity. Laity who are devoted to the church, who have a heart for care, and um, they want to work with the pastor in this way. And that is really uh, where the heart of all of this began. And Each year, Todd, I would look at what was happening here at Resurrection, and I would think, okay, this year, this is what we're going to tackle. And and that's the way it is for every local church. You can't do all of this in, you know, all the things that we, we teach in our basic training. What we say to them is you have to take small bites and get yourselves organized in the first year and get the right people on the bus, and then you begin every year to build your program. You know, if that's getting greater visitation out to the senior homes, uh, the care homes in your area, then you start with that for a year. Maybe that uh, program is spurred on because, um, like in one small church very recently, there's been a rash of suicides, and they needed help, and they wanted folks to, they wanted to figure out how to get themselves organized in this way. And so that's what we do for any size church, is just being able to help them 
step by step, get themselves mm-hmm. organized with the right people. You mentioned to get in the right seat on the bus. It's a great Jim Collins reference, by the way, yes. uh, from the book Good to Great. Yes, that's right. Um, you, I think it's so important that you mentioned that laity are key to this. Um, we sometimes fall into the trap of, oh, we, we hire and we pay the pastor. The pastor's job is to do that. Well, the pastor's job is to do that maybe if it's a church of 15 or 20. <laughs> but if you get a church larger than that, and I just say that because I serve a church that's 15 or 20 in worship. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's difficult to do that. You certainly couldn't do that resurrection, but you can't do that at 90% of the churches in, in, in America anyway. Um, you have to have lay people who are dedicated. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. Why is it important uh, for members of congregations to care for one another? Um, if that is the road for me, as I, it may be for you, Todd, I believe when people receive great care, that healing ministry of Jesus, that they are then so open to greater discipleship. So many times when the church responds with that healing touch, whether it be through the best funeral that you can give or whether it be with that one-on-one time sitting beside the bed when someone is passing away and you've got family members there who are unchurched, that is your open door to say, um, you know, at the, at the service or even when you're chatting with them, um, you know, come on Sunday morning. When people have this taste of care, that's the door to greater discipleship. And I've seen that happen over and over and over. And what do you think that is? Is it because they see people serving as the hands and feet of Christ mm-hmm. instead of just hearing the words? Absolutely. It's not just, it's the church in action. It is people receiving non-judgmental love and grace in their situation in life and being accepted and sitting at the table with someone who says, oh, come join us. You know, we're, here's our service time on Sunday morning. And to me, that's what, in trying to think of how the church post-pandemic, post-disaffiliation, if we're going to grow the church, if we can do it through the caring ministries, amen and yes, and this is how we do it. And and Todd, to your to your thoughts about the smaller churches. To me, when I taught uh, licensed local pastor uh, school for here at St. Paul's for, I don't know, eight, ten years, um, mostly small churches, if they had one person, and I'm saying one person, who could be that pastor's uh, sidekick or colleague in ministry, it, it meant then that if that pastor was on vacation, the church knew who to call. The church knows that that person is indeed walking alongside the pastor. And again, it's people development. You know, as small churches are trying to develop whoever's uh, with you in that small church, just think of one person that you want to develop into that next, maybe that next CLM, that next person who will serve alongside of you. So um, churches of all sizes. And that makes sense to me because, so I inherited a church that was remarkably good at taking care of each other 
beforehand because it was a two-point charge and the pastor had a larger church that understandably took way more of his time. It had to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, just quick quick reference here. So I have, I have a, a 95-year-old retired OB nurse that she calls and checks on people if she doesn't see them on Sunday morning. And if she sees that they've got a problem, she calls me. Otherwise, I don't even know that that's happened. Right, right. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's that's a small thing, but it's something that everybody just knows. Fern's going to call somebody if they're not there, and so somebody's going to be checking up on them to make sure they're okay. Exactly. I mean, that's the kind of um, just being church, how we how we find those circles enveloping people, and to have... Um, not only the ferns of the world, but you know, if if you know Fern being more senior, you know, who's going to be checking on Fern? <laughs> you know, all of those kinds of things that um, we want to be just making sure that we're we're never done in this. We're always, you know, if I was on a bus going to Jerusalem, I was looking around for folks who's. Who are the caregivers on this bus that I can enlist to be doing care with me? And so I'm, I think as a pastor, you're always looking around to see, um, you know, if you have pastor's heart of really wanting to develop people. And for me, that's key to being in this care ministry, people development. We, we've, uh, and really what we're talking about is, is relationship. We're talking about building relationships uh, because think about your own family. You care for people in your own family. You have the relationships, and it's, it's kind of a circle, right? Because right. as you care for right. them, the relationship gets stronger and, and just continues. It's the same thing in a church dynamic, right? Right, right. What goes around comes around. You know, you you just keep that. And, and every church, I think, has kind of its own um, ethos, if you will, or its own kind of understanding of what care looks like. For me, everything falls under care. <laughs> Whether you're on a mission trip and you're learning to really do the work of mission with um, folks that you've never met before in, a, in a, a place where they may be an underserved population, you're learning to do care in ways that you need understanding about boundaries you need understanding about how to use the scriptures for care. You need to just to have a, an understanding of um, how to really understand their particular demographic. Um, and that's where I feel like even all churches and all people, we're on a learning curve. Yeah. We, we, I think we really are. Um, We've really hit home this idea that this has to be laity, uh, if not driven, it has to be the laity that are they're embracing the task, yes, right? Yes, yes. Um, some of this, though, might be intimidating for some people. Um, so what are, what are some of the things you do in the training for the caring congregation to help a layperson understand that not only should they do this, they really can do this? Right. Well, you know, so many people are even shy of, of asking someone if they can pray with them. So we, we take a whole section of time and we help people learn to pray with someone in a situation. And um, we actually have in our books, 
you know, if you, four, four pillars that we give for each situation, say um, if it's someone who is needing recovery ministry, what are the scriptures that you might use if someone confesses to you that they have a, um, some sort of addiction problem? What would be the resources that you'd want to offer? Um, where's the local AA that you might want to be able to offer them? Um, what would be the prayer that you want to be able to offer for them? And what are the national resources? So they don't feel like it's just, you know, they're in this small little town in western Kansas or wherever, that there are resources clear out there in the big wide world. If they get online, people will be there to help them. And so giving folks the resources, and one of them is just, is, um, in our training, is just helping people learn how to pray first and foremost, um, and then sitting with people in the most challenging situations. And we give them about 25 life situations in our books, and we say, here's how to begin that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's a key is helping people to understand. I think I, I have found in, in, in my life in ministry, and, and it's all been as a layperson, um, that as I've come across people, there's that intimidation of, I've never encountered that before. I don't know what I'm going to do in that situation. And clearly the pastor's the expert. I'm here to tell you, pastors are not the experts on some of that stuff. That's right. Um, Your your program really helps people. They're not going to become experts overnight, but they're going to be exposed to things that will give them the tools when they are in those situations, right? You're so right, Todd. I mean, that's the piece where pastors were trained in theology and were trained in a lot of of ecclesiology, those kinds of things where we make church happen on Sunday mornings and all, but it's the people's life stories. And that's what we say to them in our training is that your life story matters. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. That's what we, we sing with them and we, because we want them to, to embrace the power of their story and to believe that they alone much better than the pastor, can sit with someone who has had that same experience because they, that person will say, you get it. And, and pastors, we've had many times limited experience. And so we need those folks who have lived lives that, and they may think to themselves, you know, um, in fact, they may feel guilt or remorse or shame. And our work is to say, God will use every bit of that, turn it inside out, and help you be a great witness to the to the kingdom, and how to really have your own moment of salvation. Wow, those are powerful words. Um, I want to explore just a little bit more the idea of how this builds vitality in a congregation, um, because we we tend to think of care ministry as one piece of it, uh, of of. This idea of building a well-rounded church, that's, uh, but, but for so many people, it's, oh, this is what's, worship is what that's all about. Um, but the reality is, it, most of the stuff that happens in ministry doesn't happen inside the four walls with an organ or a guitar or whatever is there, or pulpit even. Uh, can you explore that just a little bit more with us? Help us unpack that a little bit more about what, uh, how this becomes part of the life of the church as opposed to just being a church. Absolutely. As, um, 
as a person really begins to take on care ministry, what you will find is that it becomes a part of your sermons. It becomes a part of how you reach out to the church, uh, to the community. It becomes a, your way of living the message of Christ. Jesus was a healer. I mean, wherever he went, he was doing healing ministry. I mean, you look at Scripture, and, you know, right from the get-go, that's how he began his ministry. And so it was um, going to the woman at the well. It was going to um, Zacchaeus. It was going to those places where people felt less than, the oppressed and the marginalized, all of those folks who felt like the church was not a place where they would be welcome. Ours is to tear down those bridges and to say, all are welcome, and here's what that looks like. So in a sense, um, you know, um, it may be for those churches who have gone through disaffiliation, those who have had to make the clear decision that they're going to be an inclusive church. What does that look like then for them um, with care ministry? That means that they're going to be able to provide conversations with families who are going through um, moments where people are telling their true story. Maybe someone is going to um, reveal that they are somewhere um, they're thinking about their understanding as um, what their gender, how they are understanding that this is a safe place. And for me, that's care ministry. Those are the folks who are going to come to someone in your care ministry, and somehow that person is, is going to be their story. So when you begin to build your care team— you want to fill the gaps. You want to be able to say, that person will help us address um, LGBT issues. That person will help us figure out how to care for people going through cancer treatment. This particular person will help us um, invite the AA um, to start their ministry or perhaps a NAMI group if there's NAMI mm -hmm. um, in the community. So every one of those volunteers that you want to bring into your care team, they're going to call, find themselves called out of their story. Does that make sense, it Todd, does. and does that answer? I, I think it does because uh, one of the things I, I use a lot when I preach is when I try to tell people, don't worry about the book, chapter, and verse. Because you might mess that up. Tell them your story, because you won't mess up your own story. Uh, so that fits right along with, with, uh, with something I, I certainly have tried to live. Uh, I'm in my third year of, of, of serving at Lawrence Centenary United Methodist Church, and that's been a very consistent thing with me, is just tell your story. Um, exactly. And, and, and I think people have understood that, and I, I think more and more folks, not just talking about my church, I think more and more folks are understanding that in the context of a post-COVID post-disaffiliation, right. post all the political turmoil that we've right. got going on. I think more and more people are understanding that 
their story is important, number one, and that their story might help somebody else. Exactly. And that's where helping people feel comfortable being vulnerable, you know, to be their own truth tellers and not be, and that comes, I think, um, from the pulpit, but it also comes with incredible lay people being able to say, this is who I am and Jesus loves me. You know, well, because those are the one-on-one conversations that have so much more deep meaning than somebody standing in front of a room, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it it helps the church be so much more fully uh, the church, and and so others then will feel like, okay, that's a place where I will be accepted. We have talked um, about a lot of things about what the Caring Congregation is. Now let's talk about how people can get there. Yes. You have, you have a special training coming up in February. We uh, do. Tell us a little bit about that and what people will see if they take part. Yes, the February webinar is a great opportunity to get your teams trained. Um, just this last year, we had two churches from the Wichita area who went together And because they went together, they got such a great price. If you go on our website, you will see Watch Party under our February webinar. And when it says Watch Party, it means that you, the more people you have in a room with you, the lower the price goes. And until uh, you get so many, and I think these uh, churches in particular, they had enough people in the room that their price was half of what it would have been. And so instead of the $250 per person, they paid $125. And actually, because the district was on board with it, the district helped them underwrite the whole thing. And so that's why churches need to be in touch with their district superintendents and say, can you help us get this training? This might be a great opportunity for some of our networks. Um, I know sometimes networks struggle to figure out what could they do together. This might be a really good opportunity to get folks together and do it as a network, uh, even since that's usually closer geographic regions and those types of things. Absolutely, Todd. In fact, um, the Dakota's Conference... Um, they, because they're a very rural area, they, um, they've had two webinars, two seminars from our group. And what they are doing now is they're having regional directors, just as you're talking about, for the rural areas um, come out of the training so that um, the rural churches, if, if someone from, has to go 100 miles, say, to go to a hospital, there's going to be someone there to greet them and make sure that they receive care while they're in the hospital 100 miles from their home church. It's another example of the United Methodist Connection. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So to answer your question, though, the February training is a great way um, to get your whole team trained in two days. You get online, you've got your team in a room and with one um, big screen there or in somebody's living room, and you're all seated there eating your snacks together. And during the breaks, you'll be talking about, well, how can this, how can we apply this particular thing that we just heard about to our church? And in two days' time, you have a team trained and ready to take its next steps 
to launching a care ministry. It's, it's really an amazing uh, way. And, you know, you don't have to travel, and it, it really helps um, everybody to get on board. And we should have all gotten better at this thanks to COVID. Yes. No, <laughs> we, man. Before it might have been a challenge, but everybody's pretty adept at, at uh, Zoom and things by now. One thing that I noticed when I was looking up your, uh, your training for February, you say there's a special session uh, basically related to disaffiliation. Yes. So since that is a hot topic right mm-hmm. now, the deadline just passed right. here, December 31st. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that is about. Well, what we are finding all across the country um, is that folks are feeling this deep sense of loss and grief. Um, And for those who have actually gone through the process, they want to find something to help their congregation be renewed, um, to get back on track with the main things that church is supposed to be about. And so we're going to take time during the training and to really say, if you've had uh, or been through disaffiliation, we're going to take 30 minutes right now, and we're going to just um, talk about healing for your community and what that might be like for you in the coming months. Um, the person who's going to help us lead that comes out of Alabama. And let me tell you, that's, Alabama. That, that's a tough area. Alabama yep. had an enormous amount of disaffiliations. And um, this colleague, this team member, is preparing um, this session for us. And so um, she knows what it means to live in a community where it was, where 50% of your community was ripped out from underneath you. And so um, we're really going to be, we want to try our best to just be helpful and in helping people understand that. But um, we, every time we have a webinar, we can start a webinar and someone will say, can you talk to us about something in particular or pray? Um, for instance, two years ago, the weekend of our webinar was the start of the Ukraine um, Russian war. And everyone that was seated with us wanted to take time to pray. And so in spite of taking, we, we had basic training that, yes, we needed to do. But we took time to really address what was on everybody's minds with prayer and how they might uh, be praying with their congregations and what might be steps that they would be wanting to take um, in their communities to really help them process what was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And we all know that those different subjects come up all the time Absolutely. in this world. Um, we'll get past one hurdle and then another one shows up on the track, right? Right. I mean, it, it can happen in an instant, that week of, and it's like, oh my gosh, we've, we have got to address this. Uh, you have some books yes. uh, that help people get mm-hmm. kind of a feel for, mm-hmm. um, for what, uh, what they will learn in one of your webinars or one of your, one of your in-person seminars. Uh, either way, um, what is, uh, if somebody was going to get started right now, um, what's a couple of things you would have them think of before they, before they got going with, okay. with the Caring Congregation? All right. So first of all, if you're a pastor and you're listening 
or if you're laity listening, figure out at least one other person that you want to have working with you. And, and I say, get that person on the bus and buy them one book. And it's the implementation guide. We have um, four books out there right now, but really the implementation guide is your meat and potatoes. And I have it right here with me and Todd right now. And, and um, it's, it's got really all that um, we go through in the training Plus, like, um, it goes through the basic training, and then it has things on how to build um, a recovery ministry if a, if a disaster happens or if trauma happens in your community. Um, and so it's got four extra chapters, but really the implementation guide. Uh, when you look at those four books, remember that. It's the implementation guide that... Meat and potatoes. And I know you can get it here at the well at Resurrection, the bookstore here. Sure. Um, but also it's available online. You bet. Uh, so you can, you can look for that. We'll put, we'll put links in our show notes as well uh, on the podcast site. Uh, well, Karen, is there anything that we haven't talked about so far that you think people need to know about? Um, you know, Todd, thank you for all of the questions. I think we've really addressed, um, you know, the major pieces. I would just say that... As we think of the United Methodist Church right now, if we can help people have a church that cares, that we will not only survive, but we will thrive. And that is my hope, is that we, we just catch on fire with giving care to people in every aspect of the word. And, um, and just really help churches become all that they can with that healing ministry of Christ. So thank you so much for this opportunity, Todd. Thank you, Reverend Karen Lampy, for joining us today. clearly how important congregational care is in the life of the church. I hope you heard clearly how laity plays such a huge role in the effort of providing care. And I hope you heard how you and your church can learn how to care better for one another via an online training coming up February 23rd and 24th. Again, to learn more, you can go to the website, www.thecaringcongregation.com. I want to thank Reverend Karen Lampe for taking time to share with us about The Caring Congregation. I hope you'll consider this train and we'll see what it can do to help you build an even stronger sense of community in your local church and serve as the arms of Christ surrounding people who need a little pick-me-up as they face some of the valleys of this life. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. 
Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.